All right. Well, good morning. Uh, my name is Bland. I'm the lead pastor here. Uh, thanks for tuning in today. I know it's a beautiful Sunday. Uh, hopefully you can get back out um, or get out uh, later today and enjoy the sunshine. But uh, this is an important uh, practice for us uh, while we're not able to be together physically for us to, to connect in this way, uh, where we're all coming in to, uh, at the same time to connect, to worship God where, wherever we are, uh, to sit under God's word together, to pray together. Um, so I, I just encourage you. I'm, I'm glad you're here. I know you could be doing a hundred different things right now. And if you are doing something else, like really right now, you're surfing the, the internet or, and you just kind of open this on the side, I encourage you to just, just close all that out and focus on this. This is uh, an important message, an important series that we uh, began last week. And but, but before I get to that, I did want to mention, uh, reiterate something about um, uh, May 30th at Lars Anderson. That's going to be an open worship gathering in the sense that we have capacity for everybody. So um, we're not going to be doing a live feed that day. There'll be no live feed on that Sunday, May 30th. We really want to encourage you to come out, really want to encourage you to come be a part of that service. Right now we're looking at two, but there's a possibility that because the um, capacity changes on, on May 29th, uh, that we actually could pull that into one and just make one mega service, which would be amazing. Literally the first time since March of last year that the entire church, everyone, could come. So I know if you got small kids, you're like, hey, you know, I can't get them to stand, sit still for five minutes. Uh, hey, come on, we'll we'll put you on the outs- outskirts. We'll uh, we'll 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 help you with that. We'll give you activity bags, um, you know. And we totally totally get that you may need to to get up and step out and kind of walk up in the grassy area, but you can still participate in the service. So I encourage you to sign up, be a part of that. Don't miss that day, um, and pray for good weather. Right, uh, pray that God gives us good weather that morning. Uh, also, um, you know, if you're moved away, um, we, we glad, we're glad that you stayed connected with City on a Hill because, you know, it's hard transitioning during COVID into a new church family. But now's the time to start doing that, to really start, you know, a lot of churches are having in-person gatherings and uh, we're only limited because, of, because we can't rent space. If we could rent space every Sunday right now, we'd be doing in-person gatherings every week, uh, you know, according to COVID guidelines. But, but uh, other churches in your community are doing that if you've moved away. So I encourage you to go ahead and begin that process. We love you. We miss you, but we want you to be a part of a church in your home uh, neighborhood. And then also, finally, just the summer activities this uh, in the park this summer. Um, you know, I, I, I've talked about it the last couple of weeks. Uh, we, you know, um, we just had McKenna just talk about it. Uh, but I want to encourage you. Right? As of, I think it was yesterday or Friday, uh, we have five people signed up and two of them are Janie and me. So, um, hey, if you can give a, 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 a one day, if you can serve as a volunteer one day uh, to, to, to help uh, with that activity, please sign up. Please, please, please sign up. Please consider, pray about it, and sign up today. Um, and and we, this is an incredible opportunity for us to serve the children in our community. Um, and the town has looked to us. So we need to come through. We need to, to, to step up. And so, uh, come on, City on the Hill, let's do this. Um, all right, so right after the gathering today, the worship time, uh, we're going to be having our Q&A. Uh, there might be some quite real questions about today's uh, message, so encourage you to uh, look at that number, 617-942-0753. You can write that down. We'll try to put that in the chat some during the uh, sermon and, and last part of worship. Uh, text before the end of worship, please, um, because that gives me just a couple minutes to make sure I can look through the questions, see if some of the questions are the same, uh, and, and, and line up a, a thoughtful answer. Um, all right. So last Sunday, we started a new series called uh, Schemes. 
And the inspiration from this series came from an interview uh, that Jenny Allen, uh, Bible study leader, led uh, had with uh, Pastor X, who was the head of the uh, uh, house church movement in Iran, which right now is experiencing nothing less than a than a, a revival, like an awakening that had that is literally changing the the, the fabric of that country. It's uh, so significant that place has not seen it in hundreds, maybe over a thousand years. That area of the world. God's moving. And it was Pastor X, who's from the West, who, who said he believed that, one, that the church in the West is under a, a satanic lullaby, that Satan is, is whispering to us to, to relax, to chill out. And he's like calming us down and like trying to put us back to sleep to keep us from awakening. You know, Jesus said, uh, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it, which means we are meant to, as the church of Jesus Christ, be claiming territory from the enemy. We're, he's not claiming territory from us. We are to be going out and claiming territory from him. Uh, and, but, but what happens if the church is asleep? What happens if the church is not awake? Satan knows that, that we in, in the West, we have wealth, we have people, we have resources, we have gifting, we have talents, we have uh, education, all of these things that, that we could be leveraging, leveraging on a global scale uh, for the good of others to, to help uh, reach the needs of, of the most vulnerable on earth, to, to bring the gospel to the darkest places. Um, and he knows that. And yet Satan is, and so he's pumping us full of comfort, of pleasure, of self-exaltation, selfish ambition ambition, all of these things. And he's glad it's a lullaby meant to keep us asleep, meant to keep us from getting into the fight and making a difference. And if you don't believe that, that Satan has your number, he knows your tune, he knows how to play the tune of your selfish uh, desires, then, then, then you're naive. Biblically speaking, Satan has had thousands and, 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 and millennia, millennia uh, to look at humanity and to learn and to understand how we work. He knows what, what, what appeals to us, right? Um, and so, you know, what's great is I heard it from a number of you this week as we talked last week about the self um, and, and the scheme of the self. And it's awesome. I heard uh, from multiple people this week uh, uh, about how God was using that. One person said, you know, hey, I got kind of blown up in my work in a, in a, in a public way, in a but a malicious way, a totally unfair way. And I wanted to just retaliate. I wanted to just blast that person back for what they said. But instead, I quoted uh, Galatians 2.20 to myself, or I'm crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live, I live by flesh, uh, faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And I pray instead, <laughs> right? And so that's, that's the battle, right? We, it doesn't, we're like, well, that's not that significant. It is. We're laying the groundwork. We're, we're pushing forward into a space where, where we tend to respond sinfully, right? So we're, we're laying claim of territory for Christ in that, uh, and against Satan in that. Uh, somebody else told me that uh, it really has impacted them this week. They have felt the satanic lullaby. They have felt it pulling on them and, and that they've talked with their CG about it. And there's others in the CG that have lacked that desperation for God, but they want it. And I just encourage you, don't let this die. Don't let this, 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 uh, just don't let Satan lull you back to sleep. Awaken, get up, get after it. Because what we're talking about is warfare. It matters. In Ephesians 6, 10 through 12, uh, Paul said, finally, finally, 
Be strong in the Lord in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. We are at war. And I talked about this last week about how Satan has been give, handing us our rear ends, right? Like in the West, we've just, we've allowed ourselves to give into a lot of self-motivated things, a lot of comfort, a lot of ease, a lot of pleasure. And listen, I'm not saying those things are all evil. Listen, they, God, has, God has blessed people in the West. We shouldn't resent the fact that God has given us resources and given us the ability to, to have comfort and pleasure in some ways. But when those things begin to have, an, uh, a, a, we have a disordered love for those things, that's when Satan's winning, right? When we don't see those things for what they are, the danger in those things of becoming a substitute for God in our lives, uh, we, then we're giving into the enemy. And so we have to be vigilant. We have to be vigilant. Today, we're gonna to be talking about uh, the, the, the area of politics. This is a scheme that I've seen uh, personally in the last you know, year, 18 months that, that I feel like Satan has, has used in the West on, on the church, on Christians. Um, you know, Benjamin Watson said uh, recently, he said, the enemy has no new tricks, just different situations. Um, so Satan is not coming up with new things. He's just using, he's used some of the same things he's always used. We got a lot to say today about related to how there's a scheme in, in connection with politics. Um, but I want to make sure I'm, I'm clear on a few things. I'm not going to qualify everything through the whole message. So I want to say this real clearly. I'm not saying don't be involved with politics. I'm not saying don't have deep convictions about things that are right or wrong. I'm not saying that you should not grieve over injustice or over laws that, that go against God's plan for human flourishing in this world. I'm not saying don't contact your local politicians, don't march, don't let your voice be heard. I'm not saying that. What I am saying uh, is it matters how we do that. It matters how we do that. And so uh, I want to talk about this like general scheme to start with it, that uh, engaging in politics as a Christian does not mean we will always engage in politics in a Christian way. So there's a way for Christians to engage in politics that is sinful. It doesn't reflect Christ. It doesn't reflect the, 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 by, the, by the way we speak or the things that we do. We engage in a way that steals our joy, robs our peace, keeps us from being fruitful followers um, of Jesus. Uh, we engage in a way that makes it look like our greatest hope is in uh, politics and not in the kingdom of God. Why wouldn't Satan do that? I mean, can I just ask that? Why would Satan not do that? That's the point. It's such low-hanging fruit of a scheme to get people believing that, that, that uh, are so focused on political reality, so focused on things so high up and honestly out of the context of a lot of daily life and the people around us that, that, that it seals our joy. We lose our uh, thoughts and our energies to it so much that we miss loving and serving the people around us. We miss walking in joy and peace in Christ and in hope of the gospel Satan wants that. His scheme is clear in this area and it kind of comes out in two ways. It divides Christian, believing Christians 
Gospel-believing Christian, so I qualify that. Not everyone who says they're a Christian uh, obey, uh, believes scripture, believes in the historic Orthodox gospel of Jesus, right? Um, not everyone who says that. So I understand we're, there's differences there and, and, and we, can't, we may not have uh, biblical fellowship with someone who says they, uh, they're a Christian, but they believe all ways lead to God or they're a Christian and they don't believe Jesus was God uh, or they're a Christian, but they don't believe the cross actually pays for our sin. They're using the term Christian, but they're not what they mean is not a biblical gospel Christianity. So saying that, yes, there, there should be divisions there. I'm talking about gospel-believing Christians, people who profess faith in Jesus. Satan wants to divide us. He wants to, to have us turn on each other and, 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 and fight each other because Jesus said, the world will know you are my, my, my disciples by your love for one another, right? Your love for one another. Why wouldn't Satan attack that? Why would not, why wouldn't Satan go and say, if, if the world is supposed to see who Jesus is like by the way the church loves each other, why won't I, why shouldn't I attack that? Why shouldn't I divide Christians? Why shouldn't I make uh, something like politics so central to everything that they burn bridges, relationships with each other? They cancel each other. They don't talk to each other. They can't even pray together. Think about that. The other one, other part of this strategy is whip Christians into a frenzy of anger, fear, and anxiety that spills over and causes us to lash out at people that aren't even Christians and expect that they should act like Christians. Listen, we should not look at the world, those that are not gospel-believing Christians, and expect them to believe the gospel, expect them to obey God's word, expect them to believe God's word. And yet Christians, when they see non-Christians doing what non-Christians do, and, and not, not obeying or not holding the scripture, sometimes we just lose our minds. And we lash out at them. We attack them. Oh, I can't, I'm going to de- destroy their argument. I'm going I'm I'm to defeat them, right? Instead of seeing that the real enemy behind them is Satan. Paul says in Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, that the God of this world has blinded them to the gospel, right? Those that are not Christians. So who's our real enemy here? Is it that person who, who is espousing things that we, that we believe is against God's word? No. But Satan wants us to get enamored with them and lash out at them and yes, hate them. If Satan could get us to think that another person or a group of people are our real enemy, then we don't see the scheme behind it all. We struggle against with flesh and blood while Satan laughs at us because we struggle against flesh and uh, against uh, principalities and powers with the power of flesh and blood. Our focus isn't prayer. Our focus isn't the gospel. Our focus isn't service. Our focus isn't loving people like Christ. You know how Christ defeated his enemies? He loved them. We follow a savior who, who said, uh, love your enemies, pray for them, right? Jesus gave his life for his enemies in love. Reminding us of 2 Corinthians 2.11, the verse that the series is based on, so that we would not be outwitted by Satan for we are not ignorant of his schemes, of Satan's schemes, right? Of his designs. So, so Satan, and th- that text actually appears in the context of Paul talking about community in the church. He said, uh, this brother who has sinned, um, there's some of you that aren't actually forgiving him and welcoming him back. You're, you're setting these standards and looking at him in certain ways because of things and you're not accepting him back into the community and the fellowship. He said, 
don't be ignorant of Satan's devices, his designs, his schemes here. He wants to divide. He wants to. He thrives in division. He loves division. He laughs at the divided church. Why? Because a divided church is a powerless church. All right, so let's talk about these schemes biblically speaking. What do these look like scripturally, right? Um, Taking that lens. um, I see three underlying um, uh, struggles that that, uh, people have uh, that Satan has has entered into and has, has schemed people, has deceived people. All right, the first we're gonna talk about is self-righteousness. Self-righteousness, all right? So the question is, how would a Christian know if they are engaging in in politics in a distinctly Christian way? Distinctly biblical, godly, holy, uh, gospel-centered, Christ-like way. I think there's two kind of categories, two markers here. One is that we are accurately and faithfully interpreting God's word, reflecting it, right? Accurately interpreting it and faithfully reflecting it in that way, right? Uh, Now, there's issues with that. And and that's an important one. You got to get that right, right? There are plenty of people out there. There are people who are saying, uh, as a Christian, oh, the Bible means this. And it's against scripture. It's against a faithful biblical interpretation. Uh, And and those people are, are failing in this. But I'm not, I'm not necessarily, we'll talk about that a little bit next week. But what I want us to talk about this week is the second marker. The second marker, the first marker is having, having gospel truth, right? And, and I would say that we ought to have a little bit of humility about that as well, that we all just, I see this perfectly. I see this absolutely. And there's no debate, no discussion, no space around me to talk about this because I see it, right? And, and we, we circle up our, 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 our wagons. We, we build our walls of truth around us and our arguments so that it's impenetrable. Uh, someone can't talk with us really honestly uh, because we're so vested in this idea uh, of, of what we understand in God's word at that we are not actually open uh, to, to discussing it. So it's important. Uh, truth is important, but humility in understanding that truth. But the second marker is our attitudes and actions reflecting, faithfully reflecting Christ. Our attitudes and actions, faithfully reflecting Christ. What I found is there's a lot more emphasis on number one. I got the truth, right? I got it right. I got it clear. Uh, This is what God said. And a lot less emphasis on number two. Why? Well, I'll be honest. It feels good being right. Right? It feels good to have the truth. It feels good to, you know, when you feel like the, there, there's this thing out there and you just want to, you know, hey, this is, this is what God's word said. This is what you need to hear. You need to change the way you think. Right? And, and there's something in us that likes being right. I don't know anybody that likes being wrong. But we feel vested when we feel like we've got it right and other people have it wrong. So we focus on having it right, but we miss the other part of the issue. That it's not enough to have it right. I said this as clearly as I can. When it comes to engaging really in, in, in any sphere, politics, but also just any sphere, with the truth of God's word, it is not enough to simply have it right. How do I know that? Because Jesus said it. The Pharisees. The Pharisees largely had the truth held to the truth and saw it as their responsibility to make sure everyone else saw this truth. This is the truth. You need to believe it. You need to hear it. You need to receive it. This is the truth you ought to live by. But they failed to let the truth have them. Matthew 23. 
Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, the scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat. In other words, having the position of authority, of teaching. And so do and observe whatever they tell you. They're, they're saying truth, but not the works they do, for they preach but do not practice. Lives that do not reflect God, but declares God's, God's truth, fail to reflect Christ. We can't go out wielding God's truth like, like, it's, a, like it's a weapon out here when, when we ourselves are not living like Christ. We are Pharisees and, and Satan laughs at us. Jesus said, be warned, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. What's leaven? Leaven's a yeast that's put into bread. It, it, it multiplies, it grows, it causes the bread to rise, right? And he's saying that leaven, don't let that leaven get into you. What is that leaven? That leaven is self-righteousness. It is the sense that I have it. I've got the truth. You need to hear it. I'm gonna give it to you. And, 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 and it doesn't matter how I say it. It doesn't matter how, how compassionate my heart is even in giving you the truth. It's about me being right. And that's where the Pharisees were. Do you see the scheme here? We, 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 we want to obey God's word and we, we, we talk about God's word in this way, but we neglect the weightier aspects of the law. We, we neglect to love our neighbor like Jesus loved them with compassion. You know, Jesus didn't show up into the, the sinner's houses that he ate with and the prostitute's houses just, you know, just waving God's word at everyone, condemning them. No, there was a place, there was a time. I'm not saying he didn't speak truth. Jesus is our example of speaking truth, right? He spoke truth in humility, but you know who he often confronted the most? You know, if you look at scripture, who he let have it the most, it was the self-righteous people. And we are all good at it. Let's, let's apply this to politics quickly. Just, just, a, just speculating out there. Just, just want you a little experiment in your own mind. As you look at the political landscape, uh, politicians, commentators, news sources, uh, social media leaders, podcasters, authors, all, all in this sphere, is there any self-righteousness there? Do you detect any self-righteousness? Of course you do, because the whole lot of them are self-righteous. There is a self-righteousness, and when we enter into that sphere as God's people, we have to kill our self-righteousness. We have to put it to death. Even though we have the truth, we have God's word, we have the vision for human flourishing, we have the gospel, we have the meta plan, meta narrative that all peoples in all times and all places are part of. And that's important. And we see a picture of human flourishing that God's word lays out that, that gives freedom, freedom of religion, freedom of like, lots of freedom there. But, but we can't enter that space and declare that freedom, declare it ought to be this way and that way in an unchristlike way. Satan laughs at us when we do that. We're so busy getting the log out of everyone else's eye and correcting everyone else's thinking and everyone else, what everyone else is doing that we uh, are the, the speck that we don't look at the log in our own eye. Uh, Beth Moore said this recently. I just, I just had to like sit in this for a few minutes. She said, one reason why things are a bit turned upside down is that we keep trying to save Jesus from all the sinners instead of Jesus saving the sinners in our mirrors. I thank God that I'm not like them. 
Honestly, have you ever felt that attitude in your own heart? I thank God that I'm not like them. That's self-righteousness. And it's a scheme of Satan and it's so subtle. That's the danger, right? It's so subtle, it sneaks in. And you have to be ever vigilant. Just because you killed it today doesn't mean it's not coming back tomorrow. And Satan loved to see us thrive in the self, self-righteousness. The second scheme that Satan uses here is rooted in anxiety and fear. Listen, Satan knows we struggle with anxiety and fear. He's known human beings, every human being on earth, he's seen us, right? We are frail, we are weak, we are finite. Uh, we can't control a lot. We can control a little, but we can't control a lot. There's a lot of scary things out there. There's a lot of scary stuff in the world. We can't control it. He knows we struggle with fear and anxiety. And let's face it, the last uh, you know, 15 months during COVID has, has been an unprecedented time in most of our lives of fear and anxiety. We feel powerless, right? I have felt powerless. You felt powerless. Satan's known that and he's dialed in on it and built out fear and anxiety. So let me ask you a question. When I'm fearful, when I'm anxious, where is that coming from? Is that Christ in me? Is that the Holy Spirit in me? Is that God working and moving in me? No. There's something in me that is connecting with something in this world in a way that I'm looking right past Jesus. I'm looking right past the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, looking right past the kingdom of God, looking right past the narrative that we are in, that Jesus is winning. Jesus will win. He's already won. Look at the end of the book, right? The the battle's over. But we get caught up in the moment and we start looking at things and fear and anxiety grow in our hearts. And when we're fearful and anxious, I begin to look to things. I'm fearful and anxious over, over things out there. And so I begin to look for things that can fix those things. I look for things that are gonna fix those things rather than understanding that, that Christ in me right now is enough for me to walk in contentment. That doesn't mean there aren't realities out there that need to change. It doesn't mean that there aren't things that we shouldn't be concerned about. It's that it doesn't have to cause fear in me. It doesn't have to create anxiety in me. And how can I love those in the church who differ from me politically when I am looking to politics to do something that I should be looking to God for. When I'm looking to politics and, and the hopes that I would have in some things changing and some things being better and some, some uh, you know, uh, better laws and things like that, that, that it's stealing my joy and anxiety. And when someone else differs with me on that thing, how can I love them? How can I walk with them? How can I hug them and pray with them? How can I be on mission with them? How can I serve our neighbors together with them? How can I say, you know what? You and I, this connection we have, we're part of an eternal kingdom. This is an earthly kingdom and it has its role and, it's an, and, and we, are, we should be good citizens, but we are bigger citizens of the kingdom of God than we are citizens of this world. Satan's scheme. Get us so enthralled with political reality, so caught up with with things that need to change, right? I'm not saying there's things that don't need to change, but we get so caught up with it and it it feeds an anxiety and fear in us. And let me just say this. Social media has been the prince of demons in the last year and a half. It has. It has been Satan's like 
tool in his right hand, just shaping people. And, and you know what's so sinister? Let me, let me walk this down and, and show you how sinister it really is. So, you know, if you've ever watched The Social Dilemma, The Social Dilemma on Netflix exposes this. I've also taught one of our elders, uh, um, Jeff Johnson, works in internet uh, security. And so he understands a lot of this backdoor stuff that happens. But the way that, that social media works, the way that Google works, the way that Apple works, all these companies, they're harvesting our data, right? And they are, they're, they're, they're using, especially social media and, and news sites and things like that, are using their knowledge of you to get you to continue to stay on their website so that they can sell your attention. You are being monetized. And so what happens is it does not matter really what they show you. They just know you're interested in this. Let's show them five more things in that. And the more outrageous it is, the more scandalous it is, the more they'll stay on and we can sell their attention. And it doesn't matter how pernicious it is. It doesn't how malicious or it, even if it's lies, it does not matter. They're selling your attention and, and Satan is in it. Because here, stop and think about this. They have no interest. There's no monetary interest in helping create a counterpoint for you. So you've read this article on this position and you think, oh, wow, that's crazy. Let me read five more articles on that. They are not going to say, well, you know what? Let's balance this guy out a bit. There's a good article over here that's well-written, reflective, researched. Let's, let's give that to them so they can sort of balance out and think and, and you know, make sure that they're coming to a healthy position. No, in fact, what the, the social dilemma realized is that part of the division, uh, the, the, the America used to be like this, right? The, 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 the left, center, and right. We were majority of people we're in that middle 50, 65%, right? That's where the majority of Americans were. That has changed in the last five years. Social media has had a huge part of that and this has happened, right? Because we are getting our news, we're getting our information, we're getting our, our, our insights uh, from an algorithm which is designed to keep us involved and not challenge our thinking and not create a, a, a broad understanding, but to, 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 to feed us until we are at the bottom of the pit on that side. I'm telling you, that's what it is. I, and I say this out of my own experience. So I, I was an early adopter on Twitter, I guess. I got on in 09. So I got onto Twitter. Uh, I believe Twitter had an opportunity because you could choose who you follow um, to create a, a, a broad range of news sources for me. So I follow all kinds of people on Twitter. I follow uh, people uh, on the left, people on the right, people who are uh, gospel-believing, gospel-centered Christians. I follow news sources. Um, I follow people I very intensely don't agree with on things because I want to try to understand what they say. But you know what happened to me? In the last year during, during COVID, um, my heart began to be sucked into this. And, and what, what was happening is I, I think I was messing with their algorithm a little bit because I would read an article that would, on, on one side uh, and I would go down that a bit. And then I would read an article on the other side and go down that a bit. And, and I ended up with like following these different people that were like just, just ugly just malicious, mean-spirited people. And then you would read the comments under them and, and, and they would go, that's right, you let them have it. Or you're an idiot, you know? And that's what they, all the comments would be, one or those. And there was, there was and, and I had to get off. I got off during Lent because my spirit was so weighed down by this. I was being torn, being torn. And, the, and, the, and it was stealing my joy. 
I got off social media and you know what? My soul began to breathe again. I cut off a lot of news sources. My soul began to breathe again. I got, I got rid of a lot of that stuff. I, I cut it way down. I cut it off during Lent. And then now I'm just, I literally have my toe in it, just barely looking at it um, uh, because, because I'm breathing, because the anxiety is gone. Fear is gone. Those things that drove me to get angry and just lash out, want to let somebody have it, gone. Right Now, it doesn't mean I don't feel certain ways about those truths, but they no longer have power over me. And I'm telling you, too many Christians in America have let social media and news outlets have power over them that Christ alone should have. If you're anxious, you're fearful, you're, you're angry, then perhaps it's not them out there. It's what's in here that's creating that. Jesus said, uh, and I encourage you to read this on your own. Matthew 6, 25 through 34 is about, don't be anxious about your life. And then he unpacks things, how God cares for you. We just sang that song, Jehovah Jireh, and, 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 the, and the repeat in that, you know, if he cares, uh, if he clothes the lilies of the field, how much more will he clothe you? You know, if he cares about the sparrows, how much more does he love you? That's a repeat from that, from that text. And then verse 32 and 33 says this, for the Gentiles seek after all these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them all, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. In other words, Gentiles, those that don't know God, those that don't know peace, that don't know the gospel, that don't know new life in Christ, they seek after those things, but your father knows you need them. Stop looking out just like people who don't know God and trying to get those things answered in the world and start looking at your heavenly father because that's where you find peace. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Listen, I, and the reason I say this, one of the things is I really thought about our brothers and sisters in the Middle East, right? I mean, they are being attacked. They're, they're, they have reason to fear their, their lives being taken. They have fear, reason to fear their stuff being taken, their family being taken, uh, being thrown in jail, being abused, beaten, uh, arrested. They have all these reasons to fear. But you know what's marking these churches when they get together? They're not talking about, oh my gosh, we got to worry about all of that. We, oh, let's spend all our time thinking about all that out there. No, they pray together. They seek the Lord together. They study God's word together. Why? Because they know they need to seek the kingdom first. They need to seek the righteousness of God. They need to seek Christ first and then trust him with those things they can't control. That doesn't mean they don't have opinions about their government. It doesn't mean they don't have opinions about people who might arrest them or beat them. They, they, I'm sure they have thoughts. They do. And, there, and there's, there's some struggle there. I'm not saying that it's easy. But when they, what marks them when they get together? They get together and they're in God's word. They're in there and they're praying for each other. They're really supporting each other because they need it. And I'm telling you, you and I don't think we need it. How many of us just slough off community group, just blow it off weeks at a time, right? Just unplugged. I'm not really into Zoom. And so, you know what? If you thought you might spiritually die without it, you'll probably get on. If you needed the word of God, like you need food, you'd probably get on. If you really understood that God has designed you and your entire life to be dependent on the community of God and on his people and living in close community with others, then you'd probably get on. 
we would find a way to stay involved in our community group because we would feel that desperation. But listen, Satan has lulled us to sleep, made us anxious over things in the world, and we're numbing ourselves to death with Netflix. I'm not saying Netflix is evil. It's not. But what we do with Netflix is evil. All right, third scheme, and I'm going to close. So what happens when you have self-righteousness and you have anxiety and fear uh, is, is idolatry. This is the third scheme of Satan. Idolatry. We look to the earthly kingdom with hope of that only the kingdom of God can bring. The, the looking to politics to bring, bring answers, to bring hope, to bring real substantial change uh, and to, to give you peace is the result of anxiety and fear brought to its conclusion. Where, you, where you're not resting in Christ, you're not resting in, in, in the hope of the gospel, you're not resting in the fact that right here, right now, God is not wringing his hands. God is not up in heaven going, I just don't know what I'm gonna do with politics in the West. What's happening? It's out of control. Holy Spirit, let's go down there. Let's get something done. No, is it out of control around the rest of the world? No, the kingdom of God is going forward in communist China. It's going forward in Afghanistan. And I'm not saying I want to invite those things. I certainly uh, enjoy the freedoms we have here in America. And I'm not saying we shouldn't have an opinion. I'm not saying we shouldn't march. I'm simply saying when our, our, our anxiety and fear is caught up in those things and our hope is that those things actually come through for us or we're going to be doomed. That's not gospel Christianity. That's idolatry. And Paul said in 1 Corinthians 10, 14, therefore, my beloved, flee idolatry. Run away from it. Get away from it. It is that temptation of your heart to trust in something in this world more than God. It is trusting in something human-made, man-made, created in this world more than you're trusting in God. Listen, you don't see this kind of overwhelming anxiety and fear in the New Testament church while they were being persecuted, right? You see Paul and, and Silas singing in prison after they had been beaten. You see in Acts 5, uh, 4, the, 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 the disciples, early apostles, after they were beaten and arrested, they actually praised God they were worthy to suffer for his name. We're so full of fear and anxiety that while the rest of the world Christians suffer and the gospel goes forward and they continue, we will literally do anything to stop suffering. We will fight any battle. We will go to war. We will lose our minds over other people and over political ideology because we're fearful of suffering. Listen, that's a defensive position, isn't it? That's a defensive position. But what did Jesus said? Jesus say, said, uh, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. We're supposed to be going, taking territory from the enemy through taking the gospel out and sharing it and seeing an awakening in our city, seeing an awakening, seeing neighborhoods transformed, seeing injustice undone in our city. But instead we're, 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 we're in a defensive position. We better stop that. We better make that happen. We better not do that. Like if this doesn't change on our state level, if this doesn't change on our national level, you know, this is, it's, it's all going to pot. We're in trouble. No, no. The church is never in trouble except when we take our eyes off Jesus. That's when we're in trouble. And idolatry leads us to trust in politics in a way we were never meant to. And we will fight and bicker with each other over it.
All right, how do you know if you've made politics an idol in your heart? These are some may-haves, okay? They're not absolute, not saying if this marks you, then you have made uh, politics an idol. I'm saying it may have. And listen, I'm gonna confess to you, some of these were me. Some of these have been me. So, So listen, if your ongoing joy and peace in Christ has been diminished by political realities, you may have made politics an idol. If you automatically question other people's walk with Christ, in your mind at least, because they hold to a different political position than you, you have may, may have made politics an idol in your life. If you've had deep and powerful fear and anxiety about political realities, you may have made politics an idol in your life. If you believe that the kingdom of God would really get a boost if your candidates won the next election, you may have made your politics an idol. If there's no space to ask questions about why you hold to a position or why you don't hold to a position and you're immediately suspect of someone who holds a different position than you, you may have made politics an idol. If you spend more time reading, studying, thinking about the election and about the direction of our country and the politics, uh, rather than engaging God's word, praying, killing sin in your own life, loving and serving the people Jesus has put around you, you have may have made politics an idol in your life. So how do we fight? We fight, I go back to Ephesians 6, 11. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the enemy. We need to stop losing. Seriously, we can stand. We have the ability to stand, but this is huge here. This was written to a church, not to a bunch of individuals. Yes, we have to own this. We have to own, I have to own my part in standing, right? And being firm. But we, we stand together or we fall. We stand as God's people together or we fall. No wonder Satan has been scheming to divide God's people. Because something happens when we come together in unity. Unity, not uniformity. It's not that we all check our differences and values at the door, our different understandings of things and our own experiences and our own cultural backgrounds or ethnicities. It's not that. It's that those things are brought in and something greater binds us together. Listen, the, the reason I know this works is because the church has always been diverse. From the very beginning, Jesus, Jesus chose among his disciples a, a tax collector and a zealot a Jewish zealot, a tax collector who was now working for Rome and a Jewish zealot who, who, whose life mission was to do violence, to end Roman occupation. He had a political conservative and he had a hyper progressive in his 12 disciples. And listen, there's no sense in, in this that they just, you know, just all that just went away. But the reality of who, who Jesus was, was enough to bind them together. And listen, we're not all gonna come to the same position on everything. There is a journey, there is a fight for all of us. And if we begin to see that, then in fact, the way that we, we, we see change, the way that we, we see our political views and our understandings change is in community and not by hiding out, listening to a bunch of podcasts and, and reading our own books. And it is in community, listening, asking questions, letting people speak into our lives and us speaking into theirs. That's what community looks like. And it blew up in the early church, Acts 3. People from all over the Roman Empire, listen, citizens of the Roman Empire, slaves of the Roman Empire, and non-citizens of the Roman Empire were part of the first group of people baptized into the church when the Holy Spirit showed up, right? 
You want to talk about some different views about Rome. Roman citizens had a very different view than the slaves did and a different view from the non-citizens. Look at, look at Acts uh, 13 and other places. The church at Antioch, I love Acts 13, says there were Africans, there were Jews, Gentiles. And among them, listen, among them, one of Herod's lifelong friends, one of Herod Antipas, that psychopathic, murdering, narcissistic Herod Antipas. One of his lifelong friends was in the church. What, what happened? Well, what's the marker of this church? When we look at the New Testament, what's the marker of this church? What's the history of this church? Spirit-filled mission. Spirit-filled mission. They planted more churches than any church in the New Testament. We fight back by standing firm or we don't fight back at all. We fight back together or we don't fight back at all. Listen, as I close, some of you need to repent. Seriously, some of you need to repent. Some of you need to, to ask God. You, like, I have. Maybe you're better than me, but I have. I've been anxious. I have let fear shape my way of thinking about other people. It's, it's shaped the way that I treat other people. I've repented of that. And some of you need to repent. The good news is there's grace. God sees it. We, we, we live in a kingdom of grace. Embrace it. Receive it. And some of you need to, to, to take this challenge. Detox. Turn off, I'm telling you. If I could plead with you, if you've struggled with this in any way, shape, or form in the last year, or even now, kind of find yourself anxious about the news, turn it off for one month. One month, turn off your social media, turn off your news feed, turn off, stop listening to podcasts that talk about the news, stop listening to things, uh, reading books that are about the news or about politics or, you know, whatever. Stop all of that. Listen, I can tell you one thing right away. The world will continue. It will. It'll be okay. And number two, if you can't do that, if you're like, oh, I can't do that, then perhaps it's an idol in your life. You feel like, oh, I got to stay informed. I got to be up on things. I would say you may need it more than any of us. But do that. Get off of that. Use that extra time. Here's the thing. You're not just getting off. Use that extra time to pray. Read God's word. Talk to your brothers and sisters in Christ. Be in community. Love people well. Be more present with people and less thoughtful and anxious about what's happening on a, on a global scale. We weren't meant to live like that. We weren't. Human beings were not designed to live on that scale of worry and anxiety. So unplug from that all and you do that for a month and you come back to me and tell me your love for Jesus hasn't grown and your love for other people hasn't grown and your peace hasn't grown. I'm telling you, do it. And finally, some of you, you're like, well, this has been a great message plan, but this doesn't really apply to me. Uh, but you haven't woken up. You know, you're not in the fight. You know that you are not actively pursuing Christ. You know that you're not loving your coworkers. You know you're not on mission. You know you're not claiming any territory for, for Christ. You, are, you have been lulled to sleep. Satan has whispered to you and you have, you have wrapped yourself up in a warm blanket of selfishness and comfort. And I'm telling you, wake up, wake up. You want your life to count? It's not gonna be wrapped up in a blanket of comfort. It's gonna be getting into this fight and you start by getting into the fight against your own sin. So wake up, talk to your CG this week, talk to someone else, say, hey, I feel like God's stirring something in me. I need some people to come alongside me. Do you feel this? I wanna come alongside you. I wanna fight, let's fight, let's fight well. 
stop listening to the lullaby. Let's pray together. Jesus, I know this has been a, a long message. I know, um, God, it's, it's, uh, it's weighty. Um, I know that talking about things as deep as our own fears and anxieties and idolatry are, are, um, can be painful. But I, I pray that this pain, that the Spirit would bring conviction, and it wouldn't be condemnation, but conviction, that we would, we, you, would, you would gently awaken us. You'd, you'd waken us from Satan's schemes and that we would come into the light, we'd bring this into the light and we would be set free. God, you have work for us to do. You, have, uh, uh, you want us to leverage our lives to make a difference in this world. We need you to awaken us. Send your spirit right now to every person who's listening to my voice. Awaken, renew, bring life and help us to get into this fight and stop letting Satan win. In your name we pray.